More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. This is The Best Of with Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Vivek Ramaswamy with us now. And I'm sure you're still kind of rolling on adrenaline, Vivek, and... What is your biggest takeaway having left this stage? Mine was, man, they really ripped and attacked you more than anybody. Did you anticipate it? What did it feel like? What's your biggest takeaway? I was happy. The result was great for us. I think we came out with a with a big win. And I wasn't totally shocked because the difference is what you see in the campaign polls are a lot more precise than what you get in the public narrative. And so I started at 0.0% in the month of March. I've now entered second place in many of the national polls. But when you see that trajectory change amongst the people who are most knowledgeable in the voter base, that's something that I think worries a lot of the other campaigns, and correctly so. And so they came at me hard, but, uh, but I was ready for it <laughs> in the sense that I don't do a lot of traditional prep with canned slogans, but talking to voters across this country i've done more events than any other campaign that's been the best form of debate preparation and that paid off last night and i was glad to come out as the winner mike pence seems to genuinely dislike you <laughs> did, did you get that sense on the stage like sometimes people disagree i don't think chris christie dislikes you I, we're going to talk to him later uh I, I think nikki haley disagrees with you uh and certainly i think all of those politicians don't like being challenged by somebody who's not a professional politician which i think is a big strength of yours but when i watch mike pence like he seemed to genuinely dislike you did you get that sense like did you feel that you way know, I, I- I actually, in, in one of the offline conversations, like in the commercial breaks, I congratulated Mike. I said, I didn't know you had that. I didn't know you had that in you. <laughs> so I'm proud of you, is actually what I told him. Because, you know, he's always such a, such a meek man. Seems like he's speaking what has been served up to him by his speechwriters or handlers. But he really, at certain points, I'll give him credit, did almost seem to be expressing independent beliefs of his own. <laughs> and, uh, and I give him a lot of credit for that. So I, uh, I told him that I didn't know how he took it. So, by the way, that, that's an interesting point, because when we go to commercial break, 
what is happening on the stage that that's actually really interesting i, I wonder about that because they go to a commercial break fox news does and you can't really tell what kind of conversations happen behind the scenes uh during that commercial break and backstage what is the vibe like you know, it was, um, I think a lot of people find it awkward. I was trying to break the ice a little bit by just having real conversations with people. Like, I, I leaned over to Ron DeSantis, and I just congratulated him on what I thought was a good statement of what our border policy should be. I think I'm glad he had the guts to say what I've been saying the whole time as well, which is that we should use our own military on our own southern border under the circumstances that is legally, morally, and ethically justified. And, you know, the moderators call on certain people for certain questions, and so I had... You know, certainly a very detailed plan to offer if they called on me. They called on Ron instead, and I congratulated him for saying the right thing. I was happy about that. You know, with Pence, I really was genuinely shocked because part of what I usually get from him in these backstage events of like, oh, how are the wife and kids doing? That's all we get to. <laughs> We've never gotten to a substantive policy disagreement. But uh, yesterday on stage, he really came hard with what he had been prepped with. I don't think any of it really landed. To be honest, I was proud of Mike, too. He's always been somebody in his role as vice president, really seen as a bit of a as a second fiddle at best. Uh, you know, something of a stooge for the donor and establishment class. But he definitely did have a, an independent, fundamental difference in worldview with me. And I think that that's good for our party to smoke out. That makes our party stronger. It makes our country stronger. There is a neoconservative dogma that has pervaded the Republican Party for a long time that says the way we increase our self-confidence is and enter pointless wars abroad that have nothing to do with American interests, but make ourselves feel better about ourselves for some reason at home. And if you want that view, then Mike Pence or Chris Christie or Nikki Haley or any other candidates on stage last night would be your candidate. But my view is different. I think we should lead this country in a way that puts the interests of Americans first. And that's a fundamental rift in the Republican Party. I think it is good for our movement when we talk about that in the open. And my own view is that we're stronger at home when we advance the interests of the homeland. The way I'm running this campaign is America first means all Americans from Maui to the south side of Chicago to Kensington to places I've visited, the latter two certainly in this campaign. I haven't talked to Zelensky, but I did talk to Greg and Janet Ards, two small business owners in Maui who tragically lost both of their businesses and their family. But there was a third business that still had a water supply that they were then using to help the rest of West Maui. That's who I think we ought to care about first before using our taxpayer resources to literally pay the salaries of Ukrainian government officials, which is what we're using our taxpayer dollars to do today. And so people like Mike Pence and I have fundamentally different views there. And I think the debate last night was really useful to smoke out those differences so that voters in our primary can actually make their choice in an informed way. And I think the debate was a success for that. We're talking to Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek, I put up and I started off the show saying that to me, three people stood out the most. You, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley is having a good night. I let people vote. Uh, and in my poll, you won with a majority saying that you had the best night. So uh, people can go vote in that, by the way. I retweeted it. Tens of thousands of you have voted in it so far. You and I. Uh, were two of the first people I heard anywhere say what I give you credit for getting out of the head of is you got to you got to pardon President Trump. You're a hundred percent right on that, uh, and you have continued yep. to argue it. And I give you immense credit for it. Let me ask you a question. Buck and I had a conversation last week. I think you're right on the principle uh, that 
our country does not need to try to put a former president in prison. Given what Ford did for Nixon, put that behind, Watergate is left. Buck and I argued last week, and I actually, I'm curious how you would respond, that it's actually not just pardon Trump, but if you were the president, would you pardon Hunter Biden as well with the idea being, hey, let's put this idea of putting political uh, people in jail for being politicians and their families and move forward to a new America. Would you extend that principle even to the Democrat side of the aisle? Well, I do stand on principle, but the principle I stand on is the rule of law. We have to have one standard of rule of law for all Americans, period. And so I think a lot of what's going on with the Hunter Biden and the David Weiss sham of special prosecutor and the gun charges, which are, you know, fabricated smokescreen to deflect attention away from the real thing. We should talk about the real thing. The real thing that I think may be wrong here, and the facts do not smell good to me, is that the Biden family is selling off our foreign policy to make the Biden family rich, particularly with respect to China and even Ukraine. Right now, the very country that we're sending... I agree with you 100% on that. I think they've engaged in criminal behavior. I mean, but this is of the highest order, right? Taking us closer to nuclear war, spending hundreds of billions of dollars to make good on what appears to be a $5 million bribe. So if that case is brought in court, and if in court it turns out that's really what happened... They deserve to spend serious time in prison, and I would not pardon for that offense. But what I do care about is the rule of law, and I will never be like them. And so I want to see the rule of law proceed. But what we're having right now is the same forces that are politically persecuting and prosecuting Donald Trump for literally made-up fictitious legal theories that have never been used to prosecute a defendant before. That's the same Department of Justice that is literally protecting that Biden crime family. And so I could care less for a lot of the shams that they're throwing around now. And actually, I think it's coming from the deep state on the gun charges or whatever else to create a deflection from the real thing. I think we have to have, I think, impeachment inquiry on the real question of whether or not these bribes are affecting our foreign policy right now in ways that put the United States of America at risk when you have a potential compromised president of the United States. But I will never preordain a result and assume what the rule of what the fact finding is going to say. I will never be them. I believe in the rule of law, and that's what we actually need to restore. But that gives you a sense for how I think about it. Yeah, it's a good answer. Uh, interesting answer. Vivek Ramaswamy. And I think one reason people enjoyed your performance is you say what you think, uh, even if you don't necessarily make people happy uh, in the traditional Republican establishment. And that's why your performance last night, in many ways, to me, seemed similar to Trump in 15 when he was beginning his run. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. 
If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Vivek Ramaswamy with us now. So let me ask you this. You said Trump is the best candidate, uh, the best president in the 21st century. If you are running to beat Trump, that means that you think you would be a better president than Trump. What would you do better than what Donald Trump has done? Unite the country. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to. And I think that allows us to take our America first agenda even further than Donald Trump did. And I stand by what I said last night. We have Bush, Obama, Biden, you know, and Trump. Who is the best president of the 21st century? It's not even close, hands down, if you judge by the results of that. And yet it made a lot of people uncomfortable, including on stage. You could palpably feel it when I said that. So Donald Trump sets a high bar. But we in this country, we don't just aspire to normalcy. We aspire to excellence. That is who we are as Americans. And so it is my job to build on the foundation that Trump laid to take us even further, not just building the wall, but using the military to seal the border, not just putting Betsy DeVos on top of the Department of Education and say, reform it, shut it down, not just talk about the importance of fighting wokeness, but actually end affirmative action, which was created by Lyndon Johnson via executive order. We can end affirmative action in this country and in our economy on any government contractor that's currently required to adopt race-based quotas. That starts from the government. And any Republican president could have taken a pen and crossed it out. I will. But why am I able to go further? 
It's because I'm doing it grounded in first principles and moral foundations, and we go further if we're grounded in principle. And so a few things that I share in common with Trump is I'm an outsider. He and I are the only candidates in this race who are not entirely bought and paid for. In fact, I am putting immense amounts of my own money into this campaign to avoid having to be somebody else's circus monkey, which is the way our politics works today. And that's what I admired about Donald Trump and continue to admire about him as an outsider. But I think it takes an outsider who also has an understanding of the Constitution, a deep understanding of the Constitution, so you're not duped by the managerial class and the advisors who tell Trump that, no, you can't fire civil servants because of the civil service protection rules. Read the law. That only applies to individual firings. It does not apply to mass layoffs. And mass layoffs are absolutely what I am bringing to the D.C. bureaucracy, a 75 percent headcount reduction in federal employees. And so I don't believe in incremental reform. I think the moment for that is passed. Do you think, the by the way, I, this, this is a revolution. Do you I, think I Trump was duped by a lot of his advisors when he got into office? How so? Well, I think that they effectively came from the same rot that he was going into cure. And I'll also be honest with you. I'm not saying that I would have been any better in 2015. OK, but I believe in learning from the foundation laid by your predecessors to build on that. And so what I expect to happen is I will be the next president of the United States. Donald Trump will be my most valued advisor. Something of a mentor, actually, because I don't want to relearn those same lessons. I want to build on the foundation he laid. But it will take someone of a different generation. I'm 38. I can reach young people. We already are. I want to build a broad, multi-ethnic, working class, moral majority like Reagan did in the 1980 landslide. I think we truly have an opportunity to deliver that in 2024. People will say Trump can't beat Biden. I disagree. I think that uh, on current numbers and on the current trajectory of how Biden's doing, Trump probably could beat him in a narrow election. But I'm the only person who can win in a landslide. And we are skating on such thin ice as a country right now, Clay, that I don't think a 50.1 election does it, where MSNBC and CNN trot out who the winner is the Monday after the election. No, this has to be a landslide moral majority, moral mandate. And I think that will take, yes, someone as the new outsider in the race, someone who comes from that different generation, someone who is not a super PAC puppet, but a patriot who speaks the truth, to be able to take the America First agenda even further. And I do think I'm the best positioned candidate to actually do it. Last question for you, and that's really a strong answer. Vivek Ramaswamy, a lot of strong answers here the night after the debate. Your critics, and many of them were on the stage, I think are going to start to say, if they haven't already, and you probably have heard the whispers, Vivek's not actually trying to win. He is trying to protect Trump and, as a result, end up his VP. I think we asked you about this last time, but I do think allowing you to address it directly is important. Are you trying to beat Trump, or are you trying to be his VP? I'm trying to lead this country to a national revival by being the next president of the United States. And I don't think that that involves beating Trump. That involves taking the agenda and the, and the movement that he began to the next level further than he can right now. And I can only do that as the next president. If this is about me and my political career and getting close to the seat of power, sure, that's, that would be a, a, your number two position as vice president. At the age of 38, another nice little mark for my resume. That's not what this is about. This is about our country, and I don't think we have that much time. I, I, got, I got a three-and-a-half-year-old son. If he's in high school before we fix this, we're done. I don't think we have a country left. I do not want to see us march to some national divorce, and that is the direction we're heading in today. 
I think it will take somebody who is grounded in principle, who is able to bring especially that next generation who has lost any semblance of national pride in this country, 60% of them saying they would sooner give up their right to vote than to give up their access to TikTok. Who can best bring them along to revive conviction in this nation we call home? And even between Donald Trump and myself, when I think about who can best do that from the White House next, I think that is my job to get done. I think it will be Donald Trump's job to not put himself through the hell of that presidency again. And to me, I don't relish the idea of sitting in that White House either. It is just a sense of duty that I'm the best position to do it. I will rely on Trump as my mentor and my advisor to do it. And that is, I think, how we each do our part to lead a revival of our nation. Because America first and MAGA, it is bigger than Trump. It is bigger than me. It is about the people of this country. This movement is not about one man. It's not about any of us. It is about this nation. And that is what we need to revive. And once we see it that way, I think it will become clear, I hope, as I make my case, that the voters will put me in the office as as their next president. And when I leave office in January 2033, we will look back and look at this moment. We were in skating on thin ice. We will laugh at it, say we were going through our version of adolescence, and maybe take the young guy to say this. Maybe our nation is really just a little young, actually. Maybe we're all just going through our own version of adolescence, figuring out who we're really going to be when we grow up. And I do think it takes somebody who, God willing, let me hope that my best days are ahead of me. I don't take any day for granted. But I hope and pray that my best days are ahead of me in life at the age of 38. Well, it might just take someone who sees their own life that way to see a nation in its own life that way, too. And I do believe that our nation's best days can still be ahead of us. He's I don't Vivek- believe we have to be a nation in decline, but that's not going to happen automatically. He's Vivek Ramaswamy. Give uh, my props, by the way, to your wife on her form on the burpees. I saw the video in addition <laughs> to the tennis. Like, I think she has a better vertical for a woman than you do for a man. I'm not going to lie. I like the, I like the moves. She might have had an outright better vertical, period. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my uh, wife's a better athlete than me, too, so join the club. Uh, I appreciate the time. Congrats on the success last night. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, man. Take care. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. 
This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. And, and Governor, I don't know if you grew up like I did, maybe you still are, a fan of WWE, but I felt like last night you were playing the heel role and I actually thought you played it pretty well. Did you feel a bit like, I don't know, Andre the Giant back in the day walking in when he was about to take on Hulk Hogan? Uh, Andre the Giant or or the, the, the Iron Sheik or the Executioner. Oh, know? yeah. There's a few of those. There's a few of those possibilities. Like, now, nah, you know, look, I knew going in there last night, because this isn't my first rodeo, that um, if, if, if the, the issue of Donald Trump came up, you know, because you've interviewed me a number of times before, that I'm going to say what I really believe, and I'm not going to worry about, you know, what some folks in the in the audience may or may not do. And so um, I felt fine walking in there last night. I felt even better walking out. So here's a question. I want to, I want to start off something positive. If you had to vote for someone on that stage other than yourself, who have you been impressed by since you started the campaign and said, hey, this guy or this gal, they could be a good president. I would be willing to vote for them. We know you're not going to vote for Trump or don't want to vote for Trump. Uh, but who has actually impressed you so far during the campaign? Well, I got to tell you, part of it is is a bias because um, I know him so well, but I really like Doug Burgum. And, and I think Doug... It has been a really successful governor in North Dakota. Um, his wife, Catherine, is a really solid, smart partner who's done a lot of extraordinary work um, in the drug addiction area. And I think they'd be a, a, a very good first couple. And if I couldn't vote for myself, I would um, I would love to vote for Doug. I think he's a good man. All right. So let's talk about the debate that happened last night. You really went after Vivek Ramaswamy. Obviously, we know you went after Trump, but let's start with Vivek. What do you think of him? What do you think of his candidacy? Well, look, I think when what offended me is I feel like I was responding to Vivek. You know, when a guy who's who's barely ever voted gets on the stage and says, 
everybody but me on this stage is bought and paid for. I don't know how you take him seriously. I mean, you know, you've got folks up there like uh, Tim Scott and Nikki Haley who have done great things for the state of South Carolina and selflessly served. And Nikki's husband is serving right now in the military and on deployment. Um, Mike Pence, you know, you can like Mike Pence or not like Mike Pence, but the idea that Mike Pence is bought and paid for is ridiculous. Asa Hutchinson is bought and paid for. You know, um, Doug Burgum bought and paid for. You know, I, I just, I found it offensive and I find it hard. And that's why I used the, 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 um, the phrase I did about chat GPT. He sounds like a guy who's looked up and researched all of the buzzwords that will light somebody up, strings them all together, says them as, says them as fast as he can without any type of you know, thought about what those policies would mean. And so um, I, I can't take him all that seriously when the first thing he does when he comes up there is accuse the other seven of us of being bought and paid for when, by the way, there's no evidence of that. And quite to the contrary, he defends Donald Trump, who, you know, his family is on the grift so deep that, um, you know, uh, they're, they're at least in the same league as Hunter Biden. Um, so that's the guy he defends. And the seven of us, um, you know, are, are bought and paid for. So that's my problem with it, Clay. The facts don't back up what he's saying. And that goes with a lot of the stuff that he said last night. And so at one point I was tired of having him beat on me and everybody else on the stage without getting responded to. So, you know, you want to smack me? I'm from Jersey. You smack me, you're going to get a smack or two back. I thought you did a good job, by the way, responding on the UFO question and turning it into an interesting answer about the importance of trust, loyalty, and decency when it comes to leaders and people who are talking to the people that they are attempting to lead. You and look, part half of our audience is in favor of Donald Trump. The other half is is rooting for somebody else right now. You clearly are anti-Trump. At what point do you look around? There were eight people on the stage last night. Trump is not one of them. Trump has obviously opened up a substantial lead. At what point do you look? I'm sure you've read the Wall Street Journal make this argument that there needs to be a a, a thinning of the herd, so to speak, in order for Trump not to win. If your goal is Trump not to be the nominee, at what point do you look around and say, the anti-Trump faction has to coalesce. Are we there? What's that time look like in your mind? You know, my goal is to be elected president of the United States, not to see Donald Trump not elected president of the United States. So that's the first thing. Secondly, um, I think there will be a natural coalescing of it. Uh, But I think, you know, the Wall Street Journal editorial page trying to force that um, in August of 2023 has never been successful in any race they've tried to do that in or other media folks try to do that in. Um, And it's going to take some time for people to get to know us and for it to become obvious to us as to who they should coalesce behind. But I will say this, you know, I've been in the race for two and a half months. I'm now at 14% in New Hampshire. I'm ahead by five points of Ron DeSantis, 
who was the far and away front-running challenger um, when he got into this race. He's now in fourth place in New Hampshire. Um, so, you know, I feel like we've made enormous progress um, in just two and a half months. And I will remind you also that these national polls mean absolutely nothing. We don't have a national primary. And the race will change when Iowans vote. The race will change again when the residents of New Hampshire vote. And again, when the residents of South Carolina and Nevada vote. And those first four will call the herd significantly. Uh, and we'll see how it goes from there. And I think you might even have you know, a smaller stage in late September, given that the criteria increase and some of the people who were on stage last night you know, may not make it to, uh, to next month. You mentioned the people that you didn't think were bought and paid for uh, in terms of Vivek Ramaswamy going after uh, that allegation that he made last night during the debate. You didn't mention Ron DeSantis. Do you think Ron DeSantis is bought and paid for? But what I think is he's rented. I think he's rented by um, big money interests in Florida. Um, you know, you don't raise eighty-three million in Florida, um, and and have that happen. Uh, it transfer it to your presidential account, then raise more money, more soft money. Um, I, I think that, and when you see that that super PAC structure dictates your debate strategy. And we watched last night as he repeated, sometimes effectively, sometimes less effectively, memorized uh, sound bites from, you know, those, those memos. It, the memo is so effective that even Vivek was using the never back down memo. Um, and so, you know, um, I, I, that's what makes me laugh about, you know, Vivek accusing everybody else um, and this is a guy, you know, who wrote a book, you know, condemning Donald Trump and his activities on January 6th. Um, and then when I call him on it on the stage last night, he says he never said it. Well, he wrote it in a book or his ghostwriter wrote it in the book under his name. So, look, I think that Ron has a lot to answer for in terms of the conduct of his super PAC um, and the conduct of. You know, his own campaign and in the, in what, what appears to be very, very close coordination between the two. And that makes everybody a little bit squirrely, I think. You mentioned Vivek, and now he is the ardent, and most ardent, I think it's fair to say, defender of Donald Trump on that stage last night. Is Vivek in your mind, and we just had him on so people can go listen to the interview that we did with him, do you think Vivek is running to beat Trump and become president of the United States, or do you think he's auditioning to be his vice president? I think he's auditioning for something. I don't think, knowing Donald Trump as well as I do, um, I might have as good a chance to be vice president as Vivek. Um, Donald Trump's not going to pick somebody um, who shoots their mouth off like Vivek did last night in the number two spot. He's going to pick someone who is much more controllable than somebody like Vivek. So I think Vivek may be, you know, uh, auditioning for a cabinet position. I think it would be um, honestly kind of silly for him to be thinking that he'd be picked for vice president over a number of other people that I think the president, the former president, believes he has better relationships with and might be more of his prototypical type of vice president. Remember, 
Mike Pence was selected as vice president in 2016, and in part because, as he told me at the time, Mike Pence was at a central casting, you know, a quiet um, vice president that would not cause any trouble. I, I don't think anyone could describe Vivek that way. Talking to Chris Christie, he was on the stage last night in Milwaukee. Uh, Governor Christie, when you look now going forward, you mentioned it's only August, though there's another debate in a month. You mentioned some of those people may not be on the stage. One of the things that's going to continue to loom is Trump. And you came on with us before, right as some of the right as the Hunter Biden uh, investigation blew up. And I thought, candidly, your strongest uh, argument all night was that if you were president of the United States, Hunter Biden would be in prison. When you see, and I'm sure you've seen this because it's headlines everywhere, that Fannie Willis is asking for that RICO case to go to trial now, October 23rd. That's basically two months from today. How crazy is that? What do you think this is going to look like? Do you think the odds are, based on your knowledge as a as an assistant, as a district attorney, a state's attorney, sorry, all the time that you spent prosecuting people, do you think Trump is going to be able to avoid these cases going to trial? How many do you think would go to trial between now and Election Day 2024? Well, let me say this. First off, that case is in Atlanta. It's not going to trial in October. Yeah. No shots. No shot. Maybe October of of twenty five. Governor, I asked. I, yeah, I said when the when the October date went up, they didn't put the year. And I asked my staff. I was like, "Are they talking about October of twenty four? Surely she doesn't mean two months from now." So sorry to cut you off, but that was my initial yeah. reaction too. I thought it was crazy. There's no shot. Look, I think that there are two cases that have the chance to be tried um, at or before the convention. Uh, the New York case um, and the January 6th case. I think that the classified documents case, which I think is the strongest case against him, um, is going to take time to get people cleared to review those classified documents, to get a jury selected and all the rest. I have a hard time believing that they'll be able to try that case you know, before the late fall of 2024. So I think the, the your maximum, Clay, would be um, the New York case, which I think very well could happen this spring, not a complicated case, um, and the January 6th case because Donald Trump's the only defendant. And I think that's the reason that Jack Smith did it that way. He didn't plead this big case like Fannie Willis did, because he wanted it to actually have a fast track to trial. So I think that could happen anywhere from like mid spring of um, 24 into the early summer of 24. So I think he's going to be facing two trials and Republican primary voters have to ask themselves, is that really our best foot forward to beat Joe Biden? That's kind of what I said in my closing last night. Like you think that Joe Biden and the Democrats are going to be afraid of Donald Trump, who very well could be convicted felon in two different matters before the fall election. And that's who we're saying is our best candidate to put up against Joe Biden. Let's not make this a grudge match. The stakes are too high because, Clay, let me tell you, if the Democrats, if Biden wins, he's going to take the House back. 
That means we're going to have Supreme Court packing. That means we're going to eliminate the filibuster. This is going to be a cataclysmic loss for the country if we don't nominate someone who can win. Um, and Donald Trump, given what he's facing, and he, there are going to be hearings before trial. He's going to have to show up in all that stuff. He's out on bail, Clay. You're not allowed not to show up. Um, and that's going to be the circus we're going to be seeing between now and then. And the shame of it is that it is all self-created, all of it. And I can't imagine that Republicans are going to look at that and say, yeah, that's two-time felon. That's our best shot to beat Joe Biden. Joe Biden wants Donald Trump. And if we are dumb enough to give him Donald Trump, we're going to really harm the country. Chris Christie, right off the debate stage, onto the show. Appreciate the time. Clay, always great being on the program. And please tell Buck I said congratulations. Great work. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. 